Have you finished your personal statement yet? Now's the perfect time to get it professionally reviewed by a medical school HQ expert advisor. We have former directors of admissions, admissions officers, and the like on our small team of amazing people. They have the inside knowledge from reading thousands and thousands and thousands, tens, if not 100,000 personal statements going through the process and setting up the process for their whole committee. They know exactly what medical schools look for and the common red flags that can get your entire application thrown out. Take advantage of our flash sale right now, going through May 6th, up to 6,000 characters reviewed for just $150. That's a $75 discount on our regular price. Go to editmyps.com. Again, that's editmyps.com. If you're applying to medical school in 2022 to start medical school in 2023, join me Wednesday or Thursday, Wednesday night at 9.30 p.m. Eastern, or Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern at premedworkshop.com. Go register today. I'm going to show you how to tell your story in your application. Again, that's premedworkshop.com. If you are applying to medical school in 2022, be there or be square. Did you know that I have a new book coming out in 2018? It's called The Premed Playbook, Guide to the Medical School Personal Statement. Go to personalstatementbook.com and sign up to be notified when it comes out. This is the pre-med year, session number 270. Hello and welcome to the three-time Academy Award-nominated podcast, The Pre-Med Years, where we believe that collaboration, not competition, is key to your success. I'm your host, Dr. Ryan Gray, and in this podcast, we share with you stories, encouragement, and information that you need to know to help guide you on your path to becoming a physician. Welcome and thank you for joining me here on the podcast today where I have a great guest. But before I talk about that, I want to remind you once again, I have this new book coming out. I'm so excited called The Pre-Med Playbook Guide to the Medical School Personal Statement. Now, I will have some contests and some giveaways for pre-ordering the book, but here's the deal. The book doesn't come out until August. And I just talked to my publisher and we're probably not going to release it early. I could possibly sell the paperback version myself prior to it hitting bookstores, but I don't know if I wanna do that. So the ebook will be out sooner, but if you are applying in 2019 to start in 2020, go to personalstatementbook.com to be notified when it comes out later in 2018. So today's guest is someone who went from the oil fields in Oklahoma to now a medical student in Oklahoma. Had a long journey, did a lot of things wrong, figured out a lot of things to do better, improved his grades, his scores, and finally got into medical school. So let's learn how Jonathan made his journey work for him. Jonathan, welcome to the pre-med years. Thanks for joining me. Hey, thanks for having me on, Dr. Gray. It's a big pleasure and big honor. When did you first realize that you wanted to be a physician? Oh, gosh. Um, I'm going to go with the cliche answer that for as long as I can remember, um, going back to my early, early, you know, maybe I think it was 10, it hit me like, yeah, medicine is definitely, that's what I want to do. I've always been drawn towards medicine since for as long as I can remember. Um, and I thankfully have part of my father to thank for that, for him taking me along to his clinic and 
put me to work filing away papers and <laughs> filing away uh, uh, charts uh, alphabetically before computers. <laughs> so that was a big that was a big influence. I think the biggest uh, piece of technology we had in the clinic at the time was the fax machine. So things have changed quite yeah. a bit. Fax machines haven't changed, but everything else around the yeah, fax everything else have. is yeah. Now everything's computers. Back then it was all paper charts, and that was kind of my summer job. You know, as a 11, 12 year old was put all the charts in alphabetical order. So, so your fa- your uh, father was a physician. So that, that gave you some early exposure. Yes, sir. It did. Um, he was a family medicine physician. Um, he, uh, you know, would bring me along to the clinic, watch me suture up patients. I remember the first time him watching suture up patients, seeing the blood rush out of the head. And he, we grew up in a town with big construction industry. So we always had construction, um, Workers come in with cuts and broken bones, and uh, so that was I was distraught, like seeing the blood for the first time. I wasn't like shying away from. It. I was like, "Wow, that is really cool again." See the sutures put in, and then as I got older, uh, my teenager years, my summer job would go to the clinic, clean up the rooms after a patient would leave, file away the charts again, and so that was always a a big big influence. But him, funny enough, as we grew up, he just kept saying. This was in the 90s. He said, don't go into medicine. Go into computers. He's like, there's a company called Apple. They're going to explode. They're going to do amazing things. I don't know what, but they're going to do amazing things. Try to work for Apple or Microsoft. I was like, what? (laughs) So um, he really did not push medicine on me at all. He told me to go into business or software engineering. But I just always, always was drawn towards it. There was nothing else in my heart that I felt um, I wanted to do with my life. And so I just kept on chugging. And I remember seventh grade, my uh, guidance counselor asking me, what do you want to do? What do you want to do with your life? I said, I want to go to medical school and become a doctor. And I remember freshman year in high school, my guidance counselor asking me, what do you want to do with your life? I want to go to college and go to medical school. They're like, okay, these are the classes you need to take. Then I remember senior year of high school trying to figure out where I was going to go to college. And I remember calling up colleges and asking for the pre-med advisor, calling the biology offices and asking the pre-med advisor and asking, hey, you know, what do you guys, you know, how are you guys, how do you guys prepare your your students to get into medical school? And so then I went off to college and I remember uh, orientation, one of the first things I did was stop by the pre-med advisor's office, introduced myself and said, hey, I want to do everything I can do to get into (laughs) medical school. So (laughs) you were prepared. That's awesome. I was, yeah, I was, uh, and you know, it's so funny, like, my father, he, um, there was no, he said, it's all on you. He said, no one helped me. You, this is on you to do it. If you really want to do it, you got to put in the time and work yourself. Yeah. So I uh, got to shout at him growing up, but um, I wanted to see other aspects of medicine just besides family medicine. And uh, he never made one phone call for me. I had to pull <laughs> up the phone book and call up anesthesiologists, emergency medicine doctors, said, hey, can I come shadow? And they were always, always more than welcoming to have me come shadow them. He never made one phone call. So, um, yeah. yeah, So, so you, you went into this process knowing you wanted to be a physician. You were super, uh, um, on point and were calling pre-med offices. And so undergrad must've been super easy for you. You go four years and, and get great grades and, and you start medical school, right? In an ideal world, sure, I would love that. That would have been great. <laughs> so what but what life, happened? What happened to undergrad? Life, uh, you know, life has a way of taking you um, around different directions and different paths that you never thought you would go down. And 
at the time I thought my life was over the mistakes I had made, that there was no future in this and that, you know, I was going to be working in the Oklahoma oil fields the rest of my life. What mistakes? Let's talk about those mistakes. Well, I think the first big mistake was, um, I was in love deeply, deeply, madly in love with my high school sweetheart. I mean, just madly in love and she was my whole world. And I knew right away that we were going to get married and I pushed the issue and it was on me that let's get married. And everyone in my family said, no, wait till get through college first to focus on your grades, get accepted in medical school, then then get married. If you guys are really meant to be with each other, it'll work out and just wait and be patient. But my stubborn headedness and bullheadedness, I said, no, let's, let's do this. I want to do it. I want to be with you the rest of my life. So we got married uh, my sophomore year of college. And, you know, that was part of the thing, just not listening to the wisdom of, of others and the advice of others and wanting to have that gratification, that instant gratification, not delaying that gratification. That was a mistake. Um, so we got married and in 2000, so graduated high school in 2006, got married a couple of years later. And then from there, it was all downhill. Now, when I first went off to college, things were going great. I... <laughs> Wait a minute. Let, let, me, let me go back to that all downhill. So marriage doesn't lead to going downhill. No, no, Obviously, but something mistakes, else changed. Yeah. I mean, it was definitely getting married so young and mature when you're at that age at 20 that you still have a lot of learning and growing up to do um, and that we were just not ready for it. So um, long story short, um, she left me, and but while I was trying to salvage the marriage, I the mistake. The other big mistake I made was not compartmentalizing the the issues, my personal life with my school issues. So while I was focused on trying to salvage my marriage, my grades were slipping. So it was starting off. So I first started off college it was A's, and then started going down to A minuses, then the B minuses, then C's, and then when her and I got divorced. When the relationship was over, you know, it was D's and F's. In my mind, I was like, I've just got to keep going to school. It'll, it's a good distraction to deal with everything else that's going on in my life. And that was a big, big mistake. I should, I think the biggest mistake wasn't necessarily the divorce. It was not withdrawing from school, going like, whoa, I need to step back and withdraw. Because every F I was getting was putting me in a hole that I didn't realize was how deep it was. And before I did realize how deep it was, it was too late. Why, so I, what, if you can think back to that time, what what was it that made you stay in school? Was it just thinking that you couldn't stop or else that, that would look bad or you were it was, using it to stay distracted? It was a mixture of, of, of both of those, I would say. It was, I wanted to stay distracted from the heartbreak and I wanted to, like, if I if I stop, like, how's that going to look if I just keep stopping? Like, I got to be able to, I think also, too, it was like, I was just fooling myself, like, saying, like, I could deal with all this craziness going on. And then to add on to that, um, as I think it was a couple of months after uh, my ex-wife and I decided to, to part ways, uh, my father gave me a phone call and he said, well, your mother and I are going through a divorce now. And they were married 25 years. So it was kind of my whole support system was kind of, was just gone in an instant because now my parents were doing their own, were dealing with their own divorce after 25 years of marriage. And then a couple of months later after that, a close family member died in a horrific, horrific accident. So I had all this personal issues going on that I didn't have the tools or the life experience and maturity to handle 
to compartmentalize, to separate, to focus on studying and then focus on being dealing with personal issues. Cause yeah. I just didn't have, I wasn't equipped to do with it at, you know, 24, 25. I don't think and many I know people are equipped to deal with all that kind of hard work. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, especially that age where you just, when you're experiencing the, all this craziness for the first time, it was just like, it was just a really, really dark time in my life. And I know as a physician, as we learn, as our faculty tell us, you're going to have personal issues growing up when you decide to get married again, have kids, you're going to have stuff going on at home, but you still have to go in at four in the morning to take care of your patients. You've got to learn how to um, prioritize and compartmentalize. And so that's just something I did not know how to do at that time. So, you know, am I making excuses in some way? Yes. In some ways, no, I own up to my mistakes. It was on me. No one else, no one else made me get those bad grades. I did. It was my fault for not withdrawing. So a big lesson I would I tell when I talk to pre-meds and they come to visit our school, I said, if there's any issues going on, either take care of the issues right away or withdraw. Do not take an F. An F digs you in a hole. One F can dig you in a hole so much. Um, and then if you have to withdraw completely from school, do it. It's okay. It's better to take a break from school and deal with life and then come back yep. than to keep taking Fs and digging yourself so deep in a hole to where – you're like me, 11 years later, finally getting acceptance. <laughs> yeah, so <laughs> so you graduated undergrad with what well, GPA? <laughs> it was bad. It was, um, I think when I decided, when I finally, after there was a death in family, I decided to take a break from school. I think my GPA was like at a 2.2. I mean, they put me on academic probation. They were going to kick me out. And I said, no, I'll just withdraw you know, I presented all the evidence of what was going on in my life. They said, okay, just, just take a break from school. So I took a break with a, yeah, it was about 2.2. Okay. And, um, for the next couple of years, um, I worked the oil fields and that's what I did to get myself. I, and during that time, I, yeah, it was, it was wreck. I gained about 80 pounds and it was just, my life was all over the place. So I definitely needed to take a break to get, to heal myself and to get back on course and come up with a game plan. How am I going to get myself out of this hole? Like how, how am I going to do it? And there was a part of me that thought legitimately there was no getting out of this hole. I was, it was too late. There was, I was too deep in, I dug my grave. I had to own up to it and move on from medicine. Yeah. So how, how did you figure out number one, that this was still what you wanted and number two, how to move forward? Well, um, Thankfully, at the time, this is a big point of contention that I have now with the Comus, but at the time, when I did decide to go back to school in um, 2012, great, great replacement for osteopathic medical schools was still an option. So I met with my pre-med advisor. I mean, I called her and I said, hey, I want to come back to school. She was like, great, come in. Let's come up with a game plan. Let's figure this out. So I pulled out all my transcripts, looked at every grade I made below a B in and said, all right. I'm going to retake every single class that I received. Uh, I earned a below a BN. And so I went back, re-enrolled, and just uh, got a part-time, well, almost full-time job as a phlebotomist and then started volunteering with Big Brothers Big Sisters and just started retaking every class below a BN. I started retaking it. So in total, uh, yeah, it was over 20, 20 classes I had to retake, about 25 and this is while I was retaking and coming up with this game plan. I had no idea about the upcoming 
change in a comus about them getting rid of the <laughs> great replacements. <laughs> yeah, nobody knew. And and I hate to say it, I mean it's I I there's nothing but pure pure luck that I was able to finish retaking those classes before they got rid of the grade replacement. Yeah. Um and so that was my game plan. Re enrolled. Um I saved as much money as I could from working the oil fields, re enrolled, got a job in a hospital drawing blood on the inpatients, which was great experience getting getting to be part of that, getting to go I had a little pager. I'd go run around the hospital drawing blood on ICU patients, emergency room patients, and then take my classes and then uh, volunteer when I could. Yeah. And then um, I applied. I thought my, my GPA was finally above a 3.0. Oh, hold on, hold to- on, hold on. Let's, let's <laughs> rein it in a little bit. So you, you come back to school. You take 20... 20 plus, plus. I think it was 26 20, total. Yeah. yeah, 26 classes <laughs> over again. At that point, did you say, okay, I'm I'm ready to go. I'm going to take the MCAT and, and crush that and apply to medical school? I Once I got my GPA above a 3.0, I think total I had about over 6,000 clinical hours. I had lots of volunteerism. So my GPA still wasn't great, but from compared to 2.2, I was like, well, I'm above a 3.0. I've met the minimum cutoff of all these schools. You know, this is, I've got to, I've got to try. I've got at least, if I get, you know, I've got at least, you know, maybe my story will resonate and they'll give me a shot somewhere. Mm-hmm. And surely my in-state school will give me a shot. And of course that wasn't the case, but <laughs> the first time. How did you um, do on the MCAT as, as part so of So I, I had the great honor and pleasure of taking the old MCAT and the new MCAT. <laughs> <laughs> Great experience getting to take both of those. Um, so the first time I took the MCAT, I earned a 25. So not great, not for how poorly I prepared for it. I was, that was fine. And then um, took the next one and earned, um, oh gosh, I think it was a 500, 499. I can't remember. Okay. Um, so not great. Still I mean, not was, great, yeah. Not great, but it met the bare minimum to apply. And um, what I said, you, you said you didn't prepare well the first time you took it. Why? Right. Why did you not prepare well? Prepare well, I well? didn't listen to you enough. That's for sure. Because <laughs> uh, I remember you had plenty of podcasts at the time talking to different people how they prepared for the MCAT, and it was all about practice questions. And I think the first time um, I took it for the old version. I just did not do enough practice questions. I just kept doing, reading the books and doing some practice questions at the end of the day. Um, and it wasn't necessarily, I wasn't doing anything else. I remember I took it during, it was late spring, early summer. So classes had ended and I was just working on the weekends only. And my uh, boss at the time was very, very understanding. So I would just work on the weekends and the Monday through Friday, put in the time. I just was not enough practice questions. I mean, it was just, I just did not do enough. And also I think at the time I was mix and matching. I had like Berkeley review books and Princeton review books. And I just, instead of just picking one thing, I was just kind of all over the place. Um, I think that was a, a big part of it. And I really do firmly believe looking back now, wow. Yeah. It's gotta be practice questions. Yeah. You gotta do practice questions. Yeah. So you, you applied, did you get any interviews that first time around? <laughs> I received one interview that first time when I applied in 2015 is when I first applied. I received one interview, my in-state school and immediate rejection, you know, five days later, which I was like, yeah, okay. All right. And no, I, I think I applied to a total of 20 schools 
and only one interview and immediate rejection. So, do you know if the in-state school offers interviews to basically any in-state? In-state, they offer basically if you're in-state, you're going to get an interview. Um, which is, you know, looking back, I'm, you know, I was grateful. It was a good experience, yeah. a good learning experience um, to get to get used to that to see what the interview process is like. Mm-hmm. And after you know going to unsuccessful ap- application cycle, I said, well. All right, now it's time plan B. It's time to work the problem. What is my problem here? So I got, um, I, after interview season ended, application cycle ended, I called my in-state school and said, hey, what do I need to do to improve my application to get accepted? And they said, well, you need to, um, you need to improve, uh, in especially your uh, science GPA, your, it's your GPA. You've got to improve that. Even though you come a long way, you still got to prove to us that you can handle medical school. We don't want you coming into medical school and dropping out. That's the last thing we want. You've got to prove it to us. And I fully understand their, their predicament. They want people with great stories. They want people with life experience, but you've got to be able to prove it to the medical school that you can handle that. You've got to be able to do that. And I just did not have enough proof to show them that I could handle that. Yeah. So, and so with that feedback, how do you, how do you decide to do a do-it-yourself post-bac versus a formal post-bac versus a SMP? Well, I literally run out of classes to take at my <laughs> at my college. So I was like, well, it's time. I hate to use this, but it, I needed to divorce myself from my undergraduate GPA. Um, so I decided, you know what? I want to do a, a special master's program at a medical school. And I, the admissions officer at the time at the medical school, I... I wanted to get into, they said, if you can go do this master's program and crush it, it's a game changer. And if you go up there and get C's, it's, it's over. Cause if you can't handle a master's program, how are you going to handle medical school? I said, mm-hmm. well, it's, that's a great point. That's fair enough. So my backup plan was I, uh, thankfully a lot of the, um, master's programs at the medical schools, they accepted my ACOMAS application. So I said, Hey, can we just use my ACOMAS application? They said, yep. And they had it on file already. And I think I applied about 10 master's program, got accepted to a couple of good ones. And um, my focus was I wanted to focus on a master's program that was at medical school to take, if not the same courses as the medical students, the ones as similar as possible. That way I can give a good evidence to the admission committee. Hey, I took these classes at these medical schools. They're very similar. And I did well. Yeah. So how, that was how did my you game plan. How did you figure out once you were at those SMPs, what did you change in yourself to get those good grades that you needed? Well, um, when I went to the SMP, that was, I mean, that was a, that was a big shock too, that you had to take your game to a whole new level. And um, thankfully with the SMP, they said, you know, they gave us enough loan money to, you didn't have to work, you know, you just focus on studying. And that was, I remember the first round of grades, that came out there in my SMP, you know, I didn't do well. I did well in a couple and not well in others. And my advisor, it was like, you've got to take it up the next notch. You've got to do better. You only have so many points left to do well. If you don't, it's game over. So that lit a fire in me even more. So if I didn't need more fire and uh, a lot of these master's programs connected at medical schools, they have learning specialists. And I went and saw the learning specialist and we talked about my study strategies, what was working, what was not working, what to chunk. And um, after that, it just grades kept getting better. And I was I mean, every time I sat down to study, 
my I came, went into it with a game plan. I'm studying for my life here. I'm studying for my future career. You know, this is, I've got to do, I've got to get these A's. You know, so each study session was, you know, I was fighting for my life. And I left my phone in my apartment and no distractions. Yeah, keeping the phone away. I think that's one of the biggest things, keeping the phone away. Do you still and do that now? I still do that now. It's Good. still the biggest thing. And my family, they know I keep my phone away. I leave in my apartment when I go study. And they know if they can't get a hold of me for eight hours, they know it's because I'm not hurt. It's because I'm studying. Yeah. And on my computer when I study, I turn the notifications off. And that way the school email, the hundred emails we get a day from the school, those don't come through. So um, there was a great, you had a great interview with um, that one gentleman about deep work and deep studying. And that really resonated with me. And then um, using the Pomodoro method where study as hard as you can for 30 minutes and take a five minute break, walk around. And that's what I did. And it's when my grades and my S&P went from C's and B's to straight A's. Wow. That's huge. So you, you started off poorly and then you, you were able to fix it. I was able to, the, you know, the continued lesson of course correcting. I had to course correct in my, um, in my earlier years as I went back to college. And then as the master's program, I had to course correct again. And that's, uh, yeah. and it, it paid off. And, you know, there's sometimes there's just no replacing just good old, just hard work. <laughs> yeah. Putting, putting in the time. And that's, uh, and thankfully it, it worked out. It paid off. But it was, the S&P was the best decision I ever made. Um, it helped me um, get much firmer grasp of the biomedical sciences that you'll have to take your first year of medical school. But it also really helped me figure out how to study um, more efficiently and uh, more how I, my study style. Mm-hmm. So it really, it was worth every penny. I'm glad I did it. It was a game changer. I went from one interview before the S&P to, uh, I think it was eight interviews I was offered. Wow. I mean, it was a game changer. Yeah, so so medical schools obviously liked what you did at your SMP, and it made a they huge did. difference. It was a huge difference. Okay. I I showed them, hey, I can handle it. I can do it. Yeah. Um, let's ta- let's so. talk about your second MCAT because your second MCAT score still wasn't very good. So what happened with that? Yeah, I, that was so. The second MCAT was with the new MCAT, um, and that was just that, that that exam is a beast. There's no way around <laughs> it. <laughs> Yep. That's an eight hour. And I understand their reasoning for it because the step one and complex level one are eight hour exams. And I, I kind of understand the point of, of what they're trying to get at. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the NCAT, the second one, when I got to the new version, I just was, I think I remember by the time I got to the social sciences and psychology section, I was just brain dead. I was like, I've got to get through this in time. I was just like hitting B, B, B. <laughs> it was, I took my breaks and ate my, my lunch. And I remember during my 10 minute breaks, I would go out by the bathroom and start doing push-ups and jumping jacks. And people would kind of like snicker and laugh at me, but I didn't care. I, anything I could do to get my, get the blood flowing. You know, exactly. Um, I didn't care. I mean, it's, so this, the score came out and, you know, I was disappointed in the score. It wasn't impressive. Um, but when I, I took that MCAT right before I packed off and moved um, for my special master's program. Oh, so it was before your SMP. Yeah, it was before oh, the S&P. So that was go. the big thing. Yeah. And I think the S&P would have helped in not in the physics and organic chemistry part, but would have helped in especially the biochemistry section. Well, not even the content, but your your newfound study habits and yeah, discipline. Exactly. Exactly. 
Why did so? Why did you take your MCAT before your SMP? Um, you know, because I didn't want. To, I think at the time when I was thinking logically, logistically about it, I didn't want to try to study for the MCAT and the SMP. I just wanted to get the MCAT done and out of the way. And if it was a weak score, then I my mentality was at the time. I'll make up for it in the S and P. Um, great. I'll I'll try. I'll hopefully those will that will work out. Um, now some classmates of mine they decided to push back the application. They wanted to do the S and P first, then do the MCAT after. Which I think during that a was gap totally year? yeah during a gap year. Which yeah. the ones I've talked to, they've all done super super well on the MCAT, like yeah. really really well. And it's in, the S and P helps. So looking back. Yeah, I, I took a gamble. I fully admit it. It was it the smartest gamble. No, but at 29 years old, I was like, I've got to get the ball rolling on this. <laughs> Clock's <laughs> so, ticking. Yeah, the clock is ticking. <laughs> like literally. So I took a gamble. I spent. I saved every much money as I could um, for my job at the hospital and um, resigned from my job in the hospital. And for that summer of 2016, I literally did nothing but I get up. I would wake up at 8 a.m. Go to the library studying MCAT. And this time I enrolled in um, the Princeton Review MCAT course, and they sent you all the books and all the practice problems. So I did a lot more practice problems and followed the course to a T. Um, but at that time, I just did not still realize my studying style. Like I just still just sitting down, just kind of passively, you know, reading things, passively doing problems. It still just was not um, active learning enough yeah. for the MCAT. And then the MCAT, you know, transitioning to an eight-hour exam, that was a, that was an eye-opening experience. I'm just, yeah, yeah and, and thank goodness I don't have to take that again. <laughs> the, <laughs> boards, <laughs> the boards aren't much better, but they're definitely right. not the MCAT. Right. That's <laughs> There's good. There's no physics. Physics was definitely my, <laughs> my weak point. But, so let's, let's talk about um, your, your applications. You, you applied. You got eight interviews this time, and you actually came to me for some interview prep. What was your thought process behind reaching out to me? My thought process reaching out to you was I wanted to tweak on. I wanted to tweak on things. I think normally I'm I'm pretty. I get I get pretty nervous. Um, you know, I get pretty flustered in a kind of a higher pressure situation like the interview. And my mentality, I was really really hard on myself at the time. Was like this is it. I have to be perfect. If I'm not perfect, I'm not going to accept it. I think I was putting a little bit too much pressure on myself at the time, but, um, I said, I've got to be perfect. I've got to, this is, this is it. This is my last chance. Um, mm-hmm. so I, I knew I need to tweak on tweak things and let my true personality come out. And so that's, I've been listening to you for as long as I can remember since 2013. And I said, I've got to reach out to Dr. Gray and let's work on some things. Um, to make my interview skills better, to let my personality, my true personality, not this nervous kind of insecure person <laughs> come through. <laughs> had you had you been on any interviews prior to the one interview that we did together? Not that time, no, sir. So the only interview that before you and I met was the interview from my first cycle prime, where I got yeah. ejected immediately. Yeah. Um, so, um, so before you you and I uh, did our interview. All these interview bites were coming in for late January, late February. I was like, oh, <laughs> like it just hit me all this as soon as the winter break ended and all these medical schools were their uh, applic- uh, admissions offices reopened and sent out interview invites. It's like, oh, I've got to get ready for interviews now. Mm-hmm. And so you were the first person that came to my mind. I've got to get I've got to get this down pat. After working with me, 
you had you had a good opportunity to compare and contrast because you interviewed at at your state school twice. So the right. it, one for your prior application and then one the second application after working with me. What difference did you see with some of the feedback that I gave you, the comfort level that you had, and how the interview went? I think the big thing was my confidence in myself and to take a deep breath and relax and be like, this is this is going to work out the way it's supposed to and let my true my true self come through and not a nervous jittery bug <laughs> come through. And you and I had interviewed and a couple of days later I went off to an interview, not at my state school, but a different uh, medical school, a private medical school and went to that interview and I apparently I nailed it because they called me a couple of days later and with the acceptance. So I knew I was like, well, I did something right. Something Dr. Gray and I worked on came through and worked. And then, a couple of days later, I went to my state school's interview and um, went through that process and got the phone call a couple of days later of the acceptance. Um, so, yeah, I, I I wish you I wanted to do more interviews with you, but you were uh, completely full. So I got the one <laughs> spot I could get <laughs> if it worked. It paid off. It really let my true self come through. Yeah, that's awesome. How did you decide you got multiple acceptances? How did you decide where to go? Um, well, my, I wanted to stay in my home state. That's where, that was a big, a big part of it. Um, that was, I would say that would be the big, the big thing. Um, I wanted to just be, be nearest to my relatives and family. And, um, I think I really had a repertoire and connections with the school so much. I just, everyone in the missions office, I got to know everyone because I kept bugging them so much. I just, (laughs) I felt at home. I just felt like this is where my heart heart belongs. Yeah. And um, as soon as I got the phone call, I I uh, called all the other schools that offered me interviews and politely declined. And um, and they were nothing but really happy that when they asked me, well, why are you declining your acceptance? I said, well, I got accepted in my home state school. And they're like, awesome. That's great. Yeah. So I ended up having more interviews than I could could deal with. <laughs> yeah. Is there is there any regret that you turned down some interviews? You didn't get an opportunity to see the school and see the culture. Well, yes, if I had the money, but since I was living off loans for the master's program, it just there was a financial issue too. Like I just can't fly all over the country. Um, so there is part of that. There is part of like you know, the different schools do have different curriculum set up and they have different ways of preparing for boards. I do kind of wish I was a little bit more open-minded to see what other schools, how they prepared um, their students and how their rotations were for their third and fourth year rotations. But I think in the overall, the big scheme of things, I'm, I'm where I'm supposed to be at. From going from undergrad where you did poorly to an SMP where you crushed it, and now in medical school, how has that transition to medical school been for you in, as far as intensity and, and how hard classes are? The only best way I can describe it in the medical school is like an S&P on steroids. Um, and this is because at most S&Ps, at least when I went to, we didn't have a gross anatomy lab. We didn't have lab time. We went to class in the morning. And then you did your class, your five classes, and then you're off the rest of the day to study. Well, medical school, not like that. It's you've got gross anatomy. You got to be in at least in the lab at least eight hours a week to get you get through your dissections and locate the um, structures that you need to know. And that's a, and that's time you can't study for other things. And um, then you've got clinical skill labs. You've got 
other obligations, other mandatory meetings you have to go to. And so by the end of the day, sometimes it, not, it might not be until 6 p.m. until you're done where you can start studying the material from the day. So the S&P helped me have a good foundation and base to go into medical school, but medical school is so fast-paced, the material hits you so quickly. And it's not that it's super complicated, it's just very, very, the volume of it is just is just vast, especially especially for anatomy, um, where they give you a list. Oh, here's 700 structures. You got to know these in two weeks. Oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have that. I'll have that down. Um, so the S and P did help, but medical school, you've got to be ready to take it to the next level. You've you've got to be, you know, it hit me. It did hit me hard. Well, like I did well in S and P, but I've got to. I can't be complacent here. I've got to step my game up. Um, especially with time management. Time management is huge in medical school. Mm-hmm. You can't you can't be wasting time when you've got to get through um, so much in the day. Um, so yeah, the S and P helps, but you got to be ready to to take it up a notch when you get into medical school. During your the couple of interviews that you went on post SMP, how much were you grilled on your MCAT score and the fact that you did poorly initially in undergrad? It's interesting. They um, they really wanted to talk more about the S and P. They, I remember um, my first interview. They said, "Wow, this S your S and P grades tell us what that was like." And then I remember they asked, "How did you change your study habits? How you went from poorly undergrad to S and P?" And then um, so that was a they. I don't remember being asked one thing about the MCAT. They they seem to really care more about the S&P. Now, I, that's just on my very small data point of two different medical school interviews I went on post-S&P. Post um, they, they seem to really love the S&P grades, <laughs> which I was thankful for. I was like, okay, great. <laughs> yeah. I'll, you know, I was weak in MCAT and weak in undergrad, but I was great in clinical experiences, uh, volunteering and shadowing. And my S&P grades, which I'm thankful I took it at at a medical school with the same professors who teach the medical students in the same classes as the medical students, except for, um, you know, the labs. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, they, they seem to, to really, um, let that guide them in their questioning. Um, and they, they seemed to like, that was, that was proof. That was proof enough. I could handle it. Outside of being a better student and, and learning how to study better. What, was the one thing maybe that helped you prepare to be a medical student? I think it was learning to put, you know, the focus in on medical school and put life when there's life distractions going around to let that, you know, put that to the side. If it's, if is that really something important you take care of now, or is that something that can wait? If it's something to wait, I'll deal with it after I get done with my days. Nothing is going to get in the way of my studying for the day. That's why I don't take my cell phone with me. That's why I turn off my notifications on my computer and nothing gets in the way of my studying. And then after I get done with my, my, my study goals for the day, then I'll take care of the other issues. Um, be it even small minuscule things like laundry or making sure the bills are paid or just putting bills on automatic payment to come out of the checking account. That's a huge that's yeah. a big, that's a big thing out of the, the mind to work, to not have to worry about. And then doing simple things also like, well, I'm just going to wear the scrubs every day, different color scrubs. So I'm just going to wear, you know, simple things where I don't have to focus on that, but I can focus more on studying. That's a big, that's a big help. Um, but also I think communication with family and friends, like, 
look, I love y'all, but right now I've got to be militaristic with my time and my study strategies, my study skills. And, um, and you, I think self-discipline is, is, is key in medical school. It has to be, it might seem selfish and it is selfish, but it's a good type of selfish because you're helping take care of what you need to get done. And in the long run, that'll help others um, when you're able to take care of them. Yeah. For a student who is listening to this right now and has some poor undergrad grades and maybe is an SMP and starting to do poorly, um, what would you say to him or her to motivate them to keep going and, and figure out what's going on to, to better improve their, their path? <sighs> That's a tough question because I was lucky enough to where I applied with the Comus GPA uh, grade replacement was going on. That still was uh, in game. And then it was when I was halfway through my S&P, they let us know that, oh, this is the last cycle that's going on. Um, so it's hard. I, I've thought about this. What do I tell others who are even had a worse situation in mind, who've had worse life experiences than mine that have been through way worse and they've dug themselves in a hole? How did they get out of it? How did they climb that mountain? And I don't have the best answer for, for them, but I will say it's not impossible. It can, it can be done. Is it going to take longer now because grade replacement's gone? Yes. Is it going to be a harder climb? Yes, it's going to be a harder climb, but it can be done. You have to ask yourself how much time, how much work, how much dedication, how much sacrifice are you willing to take to make it work out? And, you know, at the end of the day, what do we all have in common from the poorest poor person living under the underpass to the richest, richest person of Bill Gates. The one thing we all have in common, we all end up six feet in the ground, no matter what. We have a very short amount of time on this great planet of ours. So might as well do what you love and what you feel you're called to do. And if medical school is what you feel called to do, then do everything you can to focus yourself on that, on reaching that goal. And if you've gotten yourself such in a big hole then, okay, we can't do grade replacement. All right, so let's get every A you can. Then let's crush the MCAT. Absolutely must crush the MCAT. You have to. You have to show medical schools, hey, I can do this. My GPA, it's bad. Okay, here, I can make it up from the MCAT. And if that's not good enough, then do a master's program or a post-bac. Divorce yourself, separate yourself from the past with a fresh start in a master's program, a post-bac, or a special master's program. Use that fresh start and crush it. No excuses. Go in there every day when you study that I'm studying to get that acceptance letter. And um, that's, I wish, I really wish that there was another way around it, especially grade placement, but there isn't. It's just going to come down to time, patience, and a lots and lots of hard work. But if I can get through it, I promise anyone else can do it. <laughs> Because there were days, plenty of plenty of days, where I thought it wasn't going to happen. I was going to have to go back to the Oklahoma oil fields, and um, and now I'm a, I I get to put on a white coat and a stethoscope almost every day. And it's pretty amazing. All right, so there you have it again. That was Jonathan talking about his journey to medical school. I want to take a second and talk about Carl Illinois College of Medicine. If you remember, we talked to Dr. King Lee back in episode 256. That's medicalschoolhq.net slash 256. And he talked about the four C's, compassion, competence, curiosity, and creativity. 
Now, I talked to Dr. Lee about how being a new admissions committee, they're looking for the four C's in applicants. Dr. Lee, as you're forming your first class and you're having students look at the four C's, which we've talked about previously, how is a student or how are you hoping students reflect on those four C's to display that to, to you and to the admissions committee? So we're asking each prospective students to prepare a portfolio and they are free to assemble a portfolio that highlights how they exemplify the four C's. So we are not legislating how they do it, but, uh, you know, for example, you know, a lot of uh, schools just look for numbers, how many hours you've spent volunteering and so on. No, we are not saying that any particular activities is going to be seen more preferably than others, right? So the student is free to demonstrate how to interpret those qualities and use the portfolio to support the fact that they exemplified those qualities. When you say portfolio, I'm picturing like I'm going to make some YouTube videos and to exemplify that. What are you, what are you <laughs> specifically looking for? Well, they can be anything from like if you are an artist, for example, you can show some artwork that you have done, right? And if you are a person that actually uh, doesn't volunteer in traditional organizations, but you're helping your next door neighbor because he or she have Alzheimer's disease and how many hours you devote to taking care of those people and so on, right? So, so all those can be either written or have uh, uh, people write support letters or, uh, you know, no matter how you document it, uh, that's a way of just showing that, you know, your activities exemplifies those qualities. And we also would ask uh, prospective students to shoot a very short video. And we are not assessing the technical quality of the video, but just for them to use, say, five minutes to talk about those four qualities and how do they interpret, you know, those, what those qualities means and how they exemplify those qualities. So again, very much uh, uh, leveraging their curiosity and creativity. All right. I want to remind you that Carl Illinois College of Medicine is accepting their first class to start this year in 2018. And all 32 students will receive a full scholarship to go to medical school. They are still accepting applications through the AMCAS system. If you are a student, go back and listen to episode 256. If you are a student who and you think you would fit well with the philosophy and the curriculum at Carl Illinois College of Medicine, I highly encourage you to reach out and apply. All right, I hope this podcast was helpful for you to show you the journey of a student who needed to reboot and reset and figure stuff out. He got to medical school, took probably a little bit longer than he wanted, maybe a little bit more money than he wanted having to go to a postbac, but he is now a medical student and will be a physician soon. It's there to show you that you don't have to be perfect. You just have to be willing to figure out how to course correct, figure out what you're doing wrong, and improve on the way. 
Hope you have a great day. We'll see you next time here on The Pre-Med Years.